We're going to be in Genesis 28, and as you're turning there, I want to encourage you. Um, actually, no, I'm, I'm going to just pose even a question. There's, there's, a, there's a place in, in the city of Kennesaw that you can go to with your children that's advertised um, as a great family moment, and that place is Sparkles. And it's not a strip club, even though it sounds like a strip club. When we, first, when we first moved into Atlanta and saw this big thing called Sparkles, I was like, look at that trashy place. We're going to have to start praying for, G-, you know, and oh, come to find out it's a family place for roller skating. True story. And it actually is a lot of fun. We took all four of our children, eight, six, four, and almost two, to Sparkles this week. The glory of the Lord. I've never been more tired than leaving Sparkles, and I have—I mean, months. I, 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 there, I had, Amy will tell you, I was sweating so hard trying to skate and teach my children to skate going around this roller rink, and it was making me laugh. Amy and I were dying not only of exhaustion, but just we were laughing so hard at ourselves. How can something that is so fun also be so tiring at the exact same time. Am I right? Are, are there not other tensions, though, that, 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 that we, we speak of, tensions that, we, that just exist in our culture? I was laughing about this, thinking about it on the way home. Um, there we go. Vacation with your children. We call it vacation. And you think, I'm going to go as a parent, and I'm going to take this week, and I'm going to get refreshed. And then you go on vacation with your small children, if you have small children, that is. Once they get older, I'm sure it changes. (laughs) This amazing, extraordinary thing happens, though, does it not? I'm going on vacation, and it's going to be amazing. And yet when I come home, I am more tired and more exhausted than before I ever left. There is an amazing tension of people who say they love golf, and they go and play golf, and they lose their sanity on the golf course. But even afterwards, what do they say? Man, I love golf. It's amazing. I love to play it. I have a difficult time with golf only because I actually do mildly enjoy it, but the time commitment is tough for me. It's a lot of time. There are so many things in our culture that we do, for time's sake, I'm not even going to go into any other illustrations, where there are seeming tensions, where it's, it's restful but actually exhausting It's fun, but you're also losing your mind. You're getting up early to play golf because it's entertaining, but you come home and you're depleted from having been in the sun for about 900 hours. And there are tensions in the gospel. We don't do well with tensions. We don't like tension as people. We don't like when one thing is, is, is more than one thing at the same time. I want, you to, I want you to hear this for a second. The gospel is filled with the tension of life and death. Flesh and the spirit. 
We're set free from sin, yet continue to yield to it. We're saints, yet we're also sinners. We're full of faith, yet we struggle with doubt. We're saved, yet we're also working out our salvation. I could go on and on and on with the seeming tensions of the gospel that seem to be pulling on each other from both ends. It's both. And it's no wonder, is it, that people find Christianity sometimes either hard to follow, hard to understand, or just flat out crazy. Because there are sometimes tensions that are difficult to navigate. And the reality is this, you have tensions happening in your life. I would like to call them and submit to you, they are gospel tensions. They are moments where you are trying to appropriate the victory of Jesus Christ in your life, yet you are not fully living that victory out. You're at odds with who the gospel says you are, and yet sometimes how you're actually living. Scriptures say that you have joy, and yet you're having a very difficult time rejoicing. Scriptures say that you're victorious, yet you seem to have a difficult time experiencing victory. God, I feel like I'm going crazy. What do I do? And that, ladies and gentlemen, is a great question. Genesis 28, 10 through 22, read the story of Jacob. And then we're going to bounce to the book of John in the, in the New Testament. And we're going to unpack two tensions that are at work, that are still at work in our lives right now, and what on earth we're supposed to do about it. The scriptures say that Jacob, one of the fathers of faith, he left Beersheba and set out for Haran. And when he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and he lay down to sleep. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. There above it stood the Lord, and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham, and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you right now are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I'm with you, and I will watch over you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land. I won't leave you until I've done what I've promised you. When Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, surely the Lord is in this place. And I wasn't aware of it. He was afraid and said, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God, the gate of heaven. If you've seen the movie Stargate, I'm a sci-fi junkie. I love science fiction movies. My wife makes fun of me 
because of it, but there's a movie called Stargate, and it's this whole idea of this portal opening up here on, in, in, in wherever it is, somewhere here on earth, and it takes you to another planet, right? This is kind of what Jacob thinks is happening right here. He has the most vivid and real dream, and he wakes up and says, my God was here, and I didn't even know it. Surely this very geography, this place, is somehow spiritual. It's like it's a, it's a gateway to heaven. Now, what you may not know about this man, Jacob, is that he's just had the feud of a lifetime with his family. His father was getting old, he was losing his eyesight, and he was preparing to give the blessing, the spiritual blessing from God Almighty to his oldest son. We don't always get that very well because it's not how we practice much anymore. But this was not a small thing, it wasn't a small issue. This is a big, momentous, life-defining moment, receiving the blessing from your father. And Jacob is the younger son. Esau's out and about and he thinks to himself, you know what I can do? I can trick my blind father into giving me my older brother's blessing. And so he dresses up like Esau. He goes and I don't need to go into all the details. He deceives his father and his father gives him what he was supposed to give to his older son. There's no going back. That might sound strange culturally to us, but to give the blessing, once it was done, it was done. And you can imagine when the older brother gets home and finds out what the little brother's done, what do you think big brother wants to do? Kill him. And when dad finds out what happened, what do you think dad wants to do? I'm going to kill him. And so Jacob starts running. Jacob was running. And when Jacob had this encounter with God, he wasn't just moseying along and deciding to stay the night at a little campsite by the river or by the stream at Red Top Mountain. And he wasn't just going for some vacation time. He had on his Nikes laced up and he was running as fast and as hard as he possibly could because he needed to get away from his brothers or his brother, excuse me, and he needed to get away from his father. And this is where and when God meets him. Jacob was running. Let's hit pause. And now let's flash forward to the New Testament. I realize I haven't given you any application for that scripture yet, and we're going to get back to that. We're about to hit ourselves a very similar story, and yet it's in the New Testament. It's in the book of John, chapter 1. It's a man that we don't get a whole lot of information about, but his name is Nathaniel. And Jesus does something with Nathaniel and Nathaniel's story. He connects it to the story of Jacob. And if you've grown up in church, you might have read it a billion times, and you may not realize that Jesus is taking two tensions. He's taking this moment, and he's taking this moment, and he's pulling them together. John chapter 1. 
Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law, and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked. Come and see, said Philip. And when Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said of him, Here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were under the fig tree before Philip even called you. Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you're the son of God, the king of Israel. Jesus said, you believe because I told you, I saw you under the fig tree. You will see greater things than that. And then he added, very truly, I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Now, any true Israelite, any God-fearing Jew would understand and instantly know that the very last thing that Jesus just said was a bold reference to the account of Jacob. What did Jacob have? Jacob had this dream, and in this dream, Jacob dreamt that there was a ladder to God. It was a gateway to God's presence, and there were angels ascending and descending upon it. And Jesus, here he is looking at Nathanael, and he's letting him know, you're, you're a little bit like my friend Jacob. You're a little bit like the guy from a, a thousand years ago, or however long it was ago, and I want you to know something. You're going to experience the presence of God, and you're going to experience like the fathers of the faith did, Jacob. And you're going to see the angels ascending and descending on the Son of Man. But what was it that Nathaniel was doing? How was he like Jacob? Because Jacob, after all, was running. He was running from everything good that he had in his life. Yet here we see Nathaniel. What's my man Nathaniel doing? He's hanging out. Oh, there's a real nice fig tree over there. It's throwing some sweet shade. And I'm going to go hang out underneath the fig tree. What do people do in the shade? Sleep, take a nap, rest, smoke break. I kind of have this picture. It's not spiritual at all. But I have this kind of idea of, of, of a James Dean Nathaniel who's just kind of leaning against the tree, you know, smoking a cigarette. <laughs> and Jesus calls him. It's probably it's inaccurate. They didn't, have, they didn't have Camel or Marlboro back then. But, but regardless, Nathaniel is doing the exact opposite that Jacob is doing. And yet Jesus is drawing a connection between the two. What's Jacob doing? He's relaxing. He's hanging out. Here's a guy whose heart is bent towards the Messiah. He's expectant. Probably knows all the right. He knows the commandments. Knows the Torah. 
He knows it all. Yet here he is relaxing and hanging out when Jesus calls him. And so we have two tensions at work right now. We have the one who's running and we have the one who's relaxing. And both of them need an encounter with God that will transform them and change them. And when I look at my own life and I look at at tensions and I look at problems and I look at heartache and I look at difficulty, especially as it pertains to my relationship with Jesus, guess what my two problems tend to always be? Either I'm running or I'm relaxing. Aren't those the two tensions that exists in your life as well? Think about your life for a moment. There are times where you know what you are doing is running from God. You're running from an encounter with your father. You're running from encounters with your brothers and sisters. And so we live in a cultural climate of Christianity, yet there are so many people who are pursuing anything possible to not have genuine, heart-changing encounters with their heavenly father and with the experience of a church. Running as hard as they can. Some of you know exactly what that's like. Some of you are sitting in here right now and you are running as hard as you can. Even though you are physically in a church, spiritually, you are running from God. I've done that before. And then there's the other side of the fence where, well, you know so much. Don't you? You've been in church such a long time. You know all the passages and all the scriptures and you know the right verses and you've got your top ten Christian playlist and you even play it, but the reality is your faith has not produced any action. It's like you're hanging out under a proverbial shaded fig tree. bored. Just waiting for God to do something. See, the world has two very loud messages that it loves to preach. The first one is that if you run fast enough and hard enough, eventually you can find peace. But you can't. It's a race that never ends. Surely if you run hard enough like Jacob and if you run fast enough, you'll find fulfillment and satisfaction. But you don't. Second message is the exact opposite. It's that you can do, you can know God and do nothing. You can have a relationship with God and be completely unchanged. 
And I have good news and I have bad news. Number one, you cannot run fast enough, hard enough, far enough, and ultimately, eventually find peace. The lack of peace will always track you down. And I also have some good news and bad news. When you encounter the true living God, there is no way for you to walk away unchanged. He wrecks you in an amazing and glorious way. And here we are beginning to wrap up summer. And yes, I just said that. We're wrapping up summer, kind of. We've got about a month left of August. It's going to be hot, so prepare yourself. And what do people do on summer vacations and summer trips? Generally, they're doing one of two things. They're living wild and crazy, or they're trying to relax and hang out. And oftentimes, we do the exact same thing, spiritually speaking. And before the new season hits, before the new chapter begins, before the next school year starts, what if we had our eyes open and our ears open and our lives attentive to the very Spirit of God moving and arresting our hearts. See, we're all confronted with a desire to run from truth or accept truth but do nothing about it. Here's where the good news gets really good. is that neither Nathaniel nor Jacob did. It's a great moment. Now, I'm not going to get all hyper-spiritual here for you. But it's possible that what I'm getting ready to say is something you really need to hear. And there are a lot of things trying to distract you from being able to actually hear it. See, for many of us, especially in this area, especially in Atlanta, the Bible Belt, the gospel is about how to make your life better. Having a relationship with Jesus is about how to live better. And I have really disappointing news that isn't the gospel. And that is not Jesus. See, when you open this Bible and you begin to read the story of Scripture, what you see are two people all the time either running or just chilling out. And Jesus has a way of bringing them together that they might experience him. And the gospel isn't about you living better. It isn't about you having a better life. Jesus, the grace of Jesus, is about his grace 
breaking into your life against your will. When you're trying to just sleep and get some rest like Jacob or whether you're trying to just hang out under the the fig tree, so to speak, Jesus and his grace breaks into your life and sets you free from the sin and brokenness that you carry that you have no possible way of doing anything about. The gospel of Jesus isn't about you somehow getting your life right and getting your life better. Jesus finds you right where you are and his grace breaks into your life whether you like it or not. And he begins to shape you and change you and make you new. And it's a glorious thing. And this morning as we are preparing for the season upon us, I felt the Holy Spirit saying, Andy, you and High Point Church need to be reminded of the simplicity of the gospel. Stop running. Stop relaxing. Revelations 3, 19 through 20. This is what Jesus says to his church, the last book of the Bible. He reminds us, he says, man, those whom I love, I rebuke and I discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. What is Jesus saying? He's saying regardless of whether you're running or regardless of of whether you're relaxing and hanging out and doing nothing with what God's given you, he is knocking on the door of your heart. And you have one response today. Open the door. Let him in. And that can sound difficult, especially if you're new to faith. What does it mean to open the door of my heart? It means simply to let go and to invite Jesus to be the boss of your life. It means that if you're running away and trying to escape him, it means simply to turn. To acknowledge Jesus as the rightful king, the rightful prince of peace, the Lord of heaven and earth, the one who is the true gateway to the Father, not some location or some rock or spiritual moment. It's Jesus. It means that if you're sitting over here and you've grown up in church and you're bored with faith, it means that today you get to set your eyes on Jesus and you get to allow him to work afresh in your life and bring you to a vivacious, life-giving relationship with him again. That you would be burned up on the inside to make disciples and see his kingdom advanced. 
that you'd be renewed by the Spirit of God. But both require stepping away from running and stepping away from relaxing and acknowledging who Jesus is. Making a decision to follow him. And sometimes we have to be reminded of that. Sometimes you need to do it for the very first time. So this morning we're going to pray. And wherever side you find yourself on, chances are you're in one. Respond to him. Pray to him. He's knocking on the door. Open it this morning. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your son, Jesus, who you sent. Who died on the cross for our sin and for our brokenness, for our rebellion, for our apathy. God, two tensions at odds that we find ourselves in time and time again, and yet you bring them all together and you say, I am the answer. I'm knocking on the door of your heart. I alone can change you and make you new. God, this morning we, we come to you. Actually, you come to us. And we choose to turn. If you're sitting here this morning and you know that's me, I'm running. I'm running from, from God right now. I've been running and running and running. And it's time to stop. It's time to turn to him and follow him. Would you raise your hand? I want to pray with you today. Anybody need to turn to God today? Say, Father, right now I turn to you. And I choose to follow you. If you're sitting here this morning and you you know God is trying to breathe fresh wind and fresh fire into your sail you've just begun to grow into that relaxed state of Christianity here in the Bible Belt and you you know God is breathing freshly into you right now and you need that at work in your life raise your hand let's pray together right where you are say Jesus thank you for new life today I choose to follow you. Thank you for making me new. Thank you for changing me and saving my soul. Today, I choose to follow you. Thank you, God. I'm opening the door, and I'm inviting you in, Lord Jesus. Would you have your way in my life? In the name of Jesus. Church, it's really easy to begin to drift into one of these two spots. 
And just because I'm a pastor doesn't mean I can't drift this way. And it doesn't mean I can't drift that way. But I want you to hear me. Jesus is in the center of it all. Jesus is knocking on the door of your heart. Jesus is the hope that you need. Jesus is the peace that you're looking for. Jesus is the life you so desperately need. It's all about Jesus. As we begin, as we head into August, can we as a church love him with everything we've got our heart our mind 